0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
1: The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list.
0: Yeah, hello, welcome to the uh Franken podcast. Heidi Heitkamp of uh, North Dakota is my guest today, former senator uh, now, uh, like me. Uh, she is from uh, North Dakota, and I'm uh, next door in uh, Minnesota, both states with sizable uh, rural populations. Heidi has started an organization, One Country, uh, which is all about helping Democrats uh in general, Democratic politicians specifically, I guess, get to understand uh, rural America. Um, and it's not that hard, really. You just go there and talk to rural folks. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I think it's the beginning of the Moniz show, so you can go back and listen to this. I wanna, I, something I'm really happy with. I told a story about Wilmer, Minnesota, which is a a rural city. It's about 20,000 people. It's the county seat of Kanda Yohai County, which is the largest turkey-producing county in uh, Minnesota. And Minnesota is the largest turkey-producing state in, in the country. There's a lot, of, a lot of turkeys. And Wilmer has a huge Jenny O turkey processing plant. And um, because of that, there are a lot of uh, Hispanic Americans working there and uh, now Somali Americans. And you remember I brought this up because Trump had done the thing with uh, Ilhan Omar, who's my congresswoman, saying, you know, basically go back where you're from, go go home. And her home is Minneapolis. That's that's my home. She's my congresswoman. And uh, that's America. We're all immigrants except for American Indians. So that's what America is. I don't think Trump understands that so I tell a story about the reason I talk about Wilmer is that there is now a sizable Somali population there is has been a sizable Hispanic population and as it so happens one of my pages in the US Senate from Minnesota was Muna Abdullahi from Wilmer and uh, a couple years after she uh, was in in the Senate she was chosen as the class speaker uh, for the commencement at Wilmer. And I, of course, injected myself into the commencement to introduce her. And I describe these kids in this community. And it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. Muna was the speaker, the valedictorian uh, was born in Ecuador. And these kids love each other. So, Go to the Moniz one, the podcast, and and, and listen to that if you like. Okay, so uh, we're going to go to Heidi now. Uh, Heidi Heidkamp and uh, her organization, One Country. Enjoy, won't you? I'm here with Heidi Heidkamp, and as you can tell, we're friends, and uh, we're both. Now, uh, former senators mm-hmm. from uh, a contiguous states. Yep. Uh, Heidi is uh, a North Dakotan. Yep. And uh, Minnesotan. So uh, we're going to be talking about rural America. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about how Democrats don't connect to folks in, in rural America. Mm-hmm. And... um and and Heidi, you have an organization of One Country that you formed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole purpose of it is to, well, why don't you?
2: Well, I think the whole purpose is to, number one, let everybody know, because you hear it and I hear it, anyone who represents any rural parts of the country, they always, if you're in New York or if you're in L.A., how, what do they want? Who are they? You know, they want to know who rural people are and I just always remind them that they're no different than the people who live next door to you. You know, I always say what a cab driver in New York wants is really pretty similar to what a small business owner in in a rural town wants. They want good things for their kids. They want good education. They want the country to run right. They want to be protected. They want their kids to be healthy and have access to health care. And mainly they just want to know that their kids are going to grow up in a country that um, is still thriving and, and exceptional. And so... We named it one country for that reason. There was a lot of discussion about, well, do you call this thing rural America? And I said, no. I mean, the division has to end at some point, and we have to find commonality. And and the one thing that we discovered, and I know, Al, you probably saw it in your, your work, you know, you could win rural counties when you started out. That would be virtually impossible today to win again. Um,
0: I Well, I... Uh one out of six jobs in Minnesota is tied to agriculture. Yeah, no, not all rural. Yeah,
2: uh, well, Minnesota is. Got, got big is egg processors about, in Minneapolis.
0: Yes, we 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 got uh, ag processors all over the place in yeah. Wilmer and. The first thing Democrats have to do, to win over votes in rural counties in rural areas, is go to show rural up. areas. Yeah, show up. And if you show up, a couple things happen. You learn stuff.
2: Yeah.
0: And also, they meet you. So they get to know you. And I think one of your assets, Heidi, is that people like you.
2: Well, I, I mean, people know me. I've been around forever in North Dakota, and, and I think the same thing you're is true. You were attorney general. I was attorney general. I was tax commissioner, which is actually, you know, people like tax commissioners in North Dakota. I uh, served uh, 10 years on the board of directors of something called Dakota Gas, and so I spent a lot of time kind of in the rural areas dealing with rural energy issues. So I think when you when you look at it, it's like we don't really like Democrats, but you're okay, but why are you a Democrat? Right. So I think the Democratic brand over years and you could overcome that, too, Al, because you're a big personality.
0: Well, I what I showed was that I learned it. Right. I, I always would start anytime I talked to an ag group, I'd say uh, I grew up in St. Louis Park, which is a suburb of Minneapolis, and I knew nothing about agriculture. If you had asked me when I was eight years old, where does food come from? What do you think I'd say?
2: The grocery store.
0: No, I'd say the farm because I wasn't an idiot.
2: <laughs> okay, so so now you feel like you landed the big ones, So now I'm 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 forever going to be tainted that way, Al. You, you set me up. Admit it. Oh, everybody
0: says. I get the whole crowd says the grocery store, and I said no, the farm because I'm not an idiot. We had books in our house. I watched TV. Green Acres was on TV. <laughs>
2: yeah, because that's the reality of life. Well,
0: yeah, that's what we thought. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of people in rural Minnesota who move from <laughs> Fifth Avenue or whatever. <laughs> but the thing is, is if you go to rural Minnesota, for example, yeah. l- let's talk about health care. Mm-hmm. When the Republicans wanted to replace the ACA with what they had proposed, I did a tour of rural hospitals, and they, people were crying. They went nuts because it was going to slash Medicaid. It was going to end the Medicaid expansion. And what had happened in rural Minnesota, and I'm sure in rural North Dakota, is that suddenly there wasn't all of this uncompensated care where emergency rooms have to, you know, you yeah. take someone and then Nobody they pays have no, the and they don't pay the bill. Now Medicaid would pay the bill. So what did they do? They hired more doctors, they hired more technicians, they hired more nurses, they hired more housekeeping, they made the food better, and they delivered better care. And employed a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Very often, as we were talking on the way over here, the biggest employer in the county would be the hospital.
2: Everybody kind of focuses on agriculture, and agriculture is the big enchilada. It's the wealth creator in most rural counties in North Dakota, but if you really look at where does that wealth get spent and, and what services do we need to maintain an economy, and you need good schools, which means you need good teachers, which are getting harder and harder to recruit into rural areas. You need excellent health care, especially given that rural areas have a higher percentage of elderly. So are you going to leave grandma in a nursing home that's understaffed, that doesn't have quality care, if you live in Fargo? You're not. You're going to move grandma to Fargo so she's closer to you, plus you can judge and monitor the quality of care. If we don't fix these problems of workforce, if we don't fix these problems of growing the rural economy, we won't have a rural economy. What we're going to have is the outback. And the president's policies are disastrous for rural America. What we're
0: going to have are machines farming.
2: Yeah. I mean, in, in part, you already have a, a high level of automation in agriculture, but it's going to get worse if time goes on and we don't see any correction. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw the story, Al, about the trade assistance, trade assistance that was, in fact, evaluated from last year. The vast majority, in fact, 80 percent went to the wealthiest farmers in America. You know, leaving the poor stakeholder farmers. This is
0: for individual farmers to uh, market?
2: These are the dollars that the president has, um, some people would say, bribed farmers with. in in reaction to the trade wars that he started and the loss of markets. So they lose markets. The president says, don't worry about this. If you lose a market, what we'll do is we'll basically subsidize you per bushel of grain or or soybeans, which is the highest reimbursement. We'll we'll make
0: you whole, supposedly. But
2: you can't make people whole.
0: No. Every farmer pays into an organization that gets markets The them.
2: The checkoff programs, yeah, the, yeah,
0: okay. And how much is that?
2: Well, it's it's literally millions of dollars that have been utilized over the last you know thirty forty years to grow markets, and that's how the soybean market got um, so extensive in China. Ninety percent of all North Dakota soybeans prior to the trade war basically went out the Pacific, and when they went out the Pacific, most of those went to China, and now, that market's gone.
0: Now that's the thing they paid. They did the checkoff paid into. Uh, expanding markets for American mm-hmm. soybeans. That market's gone because they aren't now going to South America.
2: Yeah.
0: This has killed the price of soybeans. And I don't, most farmers, I'd say in Minnesota, row
2: crops. Yeah. Yeah. Corn, row crops. soybeans.
0: Yeah. And that's if you go by the countryside, you see corn and soybeans.
2: In North Dakota, the single largest cash crop that basically helps pay the bills for farmers is soybeans. We've lost our soybean market. The president has said, I love you all farmers. So here's a bunch of money that we're just going to divert from other purposes and we're going to give to farmers. But now we're discovering that, you know, if you think that's, you know, the guy farming on a thousand acres is the guy who's making off on that. That's not true. It's always the big guys who always Get farm payments, and and so now we're in this spot where we're in it for two years, and it's not just for farmers; it's not just losing the market. It's the fact that now we have a glut of soybeans. So people planted. He announced this program before people planted, so people planted soybeans, thinking, "Okay, we'll get we'll get so the subsidy payment." All this payment. is in
0: storage.
2: But if you can't sell it, it now now we have a glut. But my point is, if you look at the policies. Of Trump and and this administration, they're devastating for rural agriculture. they're devastating for rural health care. They aren't particularly good for for rural education no. um, they aren't investing in infrastructure and making sure that the roads get better the farm to market roads get better or that a rural broadband is there. Those are all, all the pretend. things you hear yeah, about yeah Broadband
0: but, but, if they don't have it if their kid doesn't have it can't get on the internet. To to study, it's an incredible handicap. And, you know, schools that can assign things where you can go on and research something. Sometimes it's a library that people have to go to. Yeah. Sometimes you have to park in a certain place in a McDonald's.
2: Yeah, I saw two little kids in rural North Dakota, they were sitting outside the library because the library hadn't opened up and they were playing games. And, and I said to him, I leaned down, I said, oh, you guys just waiting for the library to open? they kind of look at me like, oh, we don't care if the library opens or not. We're just down here taking Wi-Fi from the <laughs> library. And they're like, we're playing games. What lady? What? Are you, we're going to go in there and read a book? No. Yeah. I mean, but it, but it, it it's a reminder. North Dakota actually has pretty good, good connectivity. The real thing that you need to do is you need Come to look to at. to North Dakota. Yeah. Con, I, I, connectivity. Connectivity. It's, unlike, it's not a problem and unlike any other rural state in America North Dakota's made the investments necessary to survive in rural America That's
0: a great 30 seconds <laughs> spot it and then you show someone be- different to read it Yeah and you show show beautiful yeah, uh, locations yeah and-,
2: yeah and I've got plenty of those but but my point is going back to one country it's it's a political organization that hopefully reconnects the Democratic Party to rural America and basically opens up or reintroduces ideas that we may have in the Democratic Party that rural America can see as viable and legitimate to their future. But we have to get beyond the instant reaction that you see so often in rural America, which is, I don't trust Democrats. I don't trust Democrats to do the right thing. And
0: that's because... They don't know them. They don't know Democrats, and... one thing that Howard Dean did yep. as chairman of the DNC, DNC was saying we're a 50 state strategy. Yeah. And, and that's a while ago now. We need to do that. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup... (laughs) <laughs> that means. That means I would also like the soup. And that way I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to sixty percent off your babble subscription, but only for our listeners at babble.com slash franken. Get up to sixty percent off at babble.com slash franken spelled B A B B E L dot com slash Franken. Rules and restrictions. May apply on the way here from the airport. We were talking about you know, rural America isn't all ag, no. And uh, and you say that they want their kids to stay here to stay home, of course, you do. And of course, you want to see your grandchildren, And of course, you want to uh, that's a big part of life. And there is manufacturing mm-hmm. in in rural uh, America, and sometimes there is a community in technical college that needs some help to train people for that manufacturing.
2: Yeah, well, one of the things, I, I always get my back up a little bit when we talk about growing out opportunities for coding or you know the kinds of things that you can actually do in rural America where you don't have to sit in a cubicle in in San Francisco and I said our biggest problem is not having the talent. And, and
0: and and getting like a a really nice apartment yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> in
0: in North Dakota is a lot cheaper.
2: Yeah, yeah. I can trust. I can. I mean, my daughter lives in San Francisco. I can tell you that where she lives would cost maybe one hundred and fifty dollars a month in Fargo, and she did not pay that in the Mission District in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. But so, so my my point would be, guess what we're missing in that formula that no one talks about? We're missing people who can teach it. And if you don't have broadband, and and Al, one of the things that that is fascinating about you and your history is you basically came out of math and science. You're STEM-educated, you know.
0: I was good at math and science. I'm not not saying I didn't get a degree in it or something.
2: But my point is... We need more kids who feel comfortable in math and science to pursue STEM degrees. And if we don't teach them from first grade on, if they don't have an opportunity to be exposed, they're going to miss an opportunity for a, a, a job opportunity of the future, whether it's in AI. We aren't going to stop technology. We have to train to technology, train the workforce. We're leaving rural kids Did, behind.
0: PSEO you have in, in North Dakota, mm-hmm. post-secondary education opportunities? There are – I went to a rural school – where the kids went. This this is kids going to a two year community college while they're in high school, yeah, and uh, getting credit. Yeah,
2: we have something like that. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. So uh, we just don't give it the Minnesota name. Yeah, because we got our own ideas over there in North Dakota. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, the Oiaca Caucus.
0: <laughs> yeah, you. Well, it was a small caucus, wasn't
2: it? <laughs> it's was just me and Grassley, I think, and me and you. Oh well, only because you were pretend. You don't really talk like that. No,
0: but I can. So no. we would, you know, in the Senate, just go, oh <laughs> hi, you know. So we were the Oya Caucus. Oh yeah. I don't know if Grassley knew he was in the Oya Caucus.
2: <laughs> I think he did. I think I think he got your humor better than what you think he got your humor. No,
0: he he yeah. Yeah, he, he loves he, uh, you.
2: Anyway, we digress. <laughs> we digress. I mean, no, the, the digressions I think, so, are sometimes so, so, the best so, part of the show. So you know, one of the things, Al, Podcast. that you have a friend in New York, guy who loves you, and his name is—he's a big venture capitalist, but he started out his career in math. He was a math professor.
0: Oh, oh, Jim Simons. Yeah, Jim Simons. I don't think he was a professor. I think he was just. I a think he taught for a while. Genius.
2: Yeah, but I think he taught for a while. But talk about talk about how, how you convinced him to come to northern Minnesota to teach teachers on how to teach math.
0: It's just one of the many things I do and did. But, for... but but but
2: but I think more of that. But, you know, because if if you can find a teacher that can understand, not everybody's going to learn math the way everybody the kid next to him learns, and if you can, in fact, keep kids in math through the eighth grade, and they get past algebra, if you can keep them in the sciences past the eighth grade, you're going to have a foundation. Right now, I can't tell you the number of kids who say, I want to go to school to be a nurse. Guess what? We have a crisis coming in in terms of retirement. Here's a number for you. In the next decade, one-third of all licensed physicians in America today will be over the age of 65. And nurses are even worse and so we've got to fill that pipeline of healthcare workers and we can do it in rural america if we have people who can teach math and science and that's why it's so important we that you we also have, have that. to
0: make being a doctor an experience that's not typing sh- yeah. stuff into a computer, a, a computer and uh, and restore some of the the kinds of
2: connectivity that people right. I mean you know so when i when i uh was elected, my husband's a family physician. I said, Well, you know, there's probably opportunities in D C and he just looked at me, he said, Number one, I'm old and I don't want to move. But number two, he said, You know, when I have a patient who walks through the door, I can usually tell what's going on because I've treated him for so long. I can tell, you know, by how they walk, I yeah, because he knows them. And that's what you want in a in a uh, practicing family physician, you want somebody.
0: Who, I remember, who has he said,
2: "Don't you want to support me <laughs> in Washington?" And then I went, "Please!" And he went, "No, I'm not no. moving to that hellhole of a town. <laughs> I'm staying in Mandan, North <laughs> Dakota, yeah. mowing my grass. That's life. Yeah, you know. But but I think the point is that." that physicians have to feel like there's there's a reward system, and we have to change how we look at medicine. But that's a whole other topic. And I think if you look at the issues in healthcare that are unique to rural America, just take the issues in urban health care and multiply them times two. Well, we, they we have, have shortages challenges. of yeah. doctors. They and have we shortages have a higher of mental cost health. of health care. Oh, it's horrible. Mental health delivery in rural America is horrible. Al.
0: And we have in rural... America, uh, a crisis,
2: uh, an opioid crisis, right?
0: And um, we don't have uh, the, the pro- people to treat that.
2: Providers, and 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 I think one of the things that we've been we've been talking uh, about is at one country, which is how do you kind of take these issues that aren't unique to rural America, the challenges of your your kid getting a quality education or the challenges of health care, the challenges of having a job that will pay you enough to actually put food on the table. How do you explain the nuance and the difference in solutions in rural America? And one of the things that I've been discouraged about is in spite of Iowa leading the caucuses, so you'd think that everybody would have a robust rural plan what you're seeing is a lot of discussion about, oh well, let's break up big uh, tech companies that deal with agriculture. Well, that might be a good idea, but it's not going to put one more dime in the pocket of a of a North Dakota farmer. It's not 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 well, right any, now. Well, any
0: anybody who's running for president has to be able to walk, and this is a cliche that they use in the debates all the time. You got to be able to walk and chew gum. And I go, <laughs> okay. Well, then how about you got to. Be able to come up with another cliche.
2: <laughs> Walk and chew gum.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, listen. Uh, uh, think about uh, rural Minnesota. Anyway, is you meet the coolest people. You meet a Gary a Gary Kubley, and Gary in Southwest Minnesota, and he was hilarious. And I remember one day uh, I was going to an organic farm. Mm-hmm. I was staying with him, and he said, uh, "Well, that's one of them farmers where uh, every animal has a uh, has a name." <laughs> 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 and you, you know, and and you see the benefit of the space program because. They're plowing with GPS, and they harvest with GPS. So I harvested uh, five acres at Kevin Papp's farm. Kevin is the, the, the head of the Farm Bureau, which is the conservative. There's two farmers' organizations, the Farmers' Union and the Farm Bureau. And the Farm Bureau is very conservative, and they like Republicans.
2: Mm-hmm. They, I'm
0: sure they endorse
2: yeah. Oh yeah. They, if if they're conservative in Minnesota, oh yeah. <laughs> if they're oh, yeah. Oh, no. yeah. oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. No, we're not voting uh-huh. for you.
0: <laughs> You're too. Now, I, uh, the, I, the
2: North Dakota Farm Bureau doesn't endorse the the Farm Bill. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. They're really uh, yeah. out
0: there. So the first time there's a, a friend of the farmer plaque that uh-huh. the uh, Farm uh, Bureau gives. Uh-huh. I got like the second year I was there. I got a friend, a farmer plaque, and there was like a little presentation, and I, I said this really means a lot to me, because it did.
2: Yeah,
0: and it was because this really kind of very conservative organization, and he went like, oh, it's just the way you voted, <laughs> and and so it was clearly said in a way like. Oh, come on. Don't we don't like you.
2: <laughs> you just checked the box on the votes. Yeah, you voted Yeah, for,
0: and yeah. I we had
2: to give it to you because we have this scorecard thing, Al, and you marked all those boxes and then we said, Oh, golly. Now we gotta give it you to the Al Franken. you great on
0: ethanol yeah. <laughs> and you were great on other biofuels and so he really does this. He, he doesn't say those words, oh, we don't like you. It's yeah. just for voting the right way. But he might as well yeah. have. Yeah. So I, every time I see him, and I see him a lot when you're going around the state, I just give him shit about it. <laughs> and then he said, okay, you know. I, and then he invited me out to harvest the Franken-five.
2: Uh-huh. So I harvested. five it. acres. Five acres. Do you remember what you were harvesting? Corn. Okay.
0: Yeah. And um, I said, is the Franken-five like your worst
1: <laughs> five <laughs> acre?
0: Because are we going to go in the truck, get it weighed? And is it going to be really pitiful? <laughs> and he goes, no, no. You know, and I said, because uh, I don't want it going around the state like, Oh my God, that's my, that's my Franken five. (laughs) I just didn't want Franken five to be like, uh, you want to, you want,
2: yeah, it's all that dry stuff at the top of the hill or it's the wet stuff. Or be like,
0: okay, if you're going to put a pole for transmission, (laughs) go to the Franken five. And so I, I had this terrible fear and, and then we went to the uh, grain elevator Yes. And it was a little late. He had saved this for me, and it was pretty middle October, yeah. and he was worried about the moisture; yeah, that'd be too dry. And no, it was
2: probably not too too wet. Probably
0: no, no. It it's just, really just was dry. drying out that year. At least okay. it was drying out, and uh, it was perfect. It had the perfect m- amount of moisture, and so they weighed us going in, and and I was going to leave. I was going to leave and go on to something else. And on the way out, they're weighing his truck. And he's saying goodbye to me. And I'm saying, no, I have to get in the truck.
2: Yeah, because otherwise the weight's off.
0: Yeah. And he goes yeah. like, oh, God, yeah, you remembered that. <laughs> and I- and then so he. was but for he,
2: those who don't understand, when you come in and, and have the truck weighed, you come in when if they know what the empty weight is with the bodies in it, you have to you, you have subtract, to have the same people, yeah. You subtract yeah, the yeah. You uh, empty the weight people. from yeah.
0: the weight when it was full yeah. of corn.
2: But if you if you add a if you add a few new bodies, you know, get the kids in the back, you you get you don't deliver as much corn as what you say you're going
0: to deliver. Yeah. So I was. Being fair, the, the the grain elevator and uh, Kevin wasn't trying to screw. Yeah,
2: he was just forgot. He just but, wanted your company. So then, he,
0: then whenever I, I'd see him, he'd go like, "Oh, I've been telling everybody about the you getting in the truck." <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Al, Al, we're all sitting on pins and needles. How did the Frank and Five do? In it yield? it, it,
0: it was, the yield was just fine.
2: Just find, like, it wasn't, like, record yield. It was average for the year. What, what, were you, you was the Frank and Five average?
0: It was not remarkable (laughs) either way. So there was no remarking about it.
2: Yeah. That's kind of worse. That's the worst ending to the story. No, this is was the best
0: ending of the story is that he, he just, from then on, he was a great friend.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that, that, that actually is a very relevant story because even people who, who you don't like um, or you think you don't like or you don't trust, if you, I, I used to tell young people this. I said, if somebody's mad at you and they'd say, yeah, I say, go stand next to them because it's human nature. Either they're going to hit you or do something mean or eventually you're going to melt. I mean, you know yeah yeah but but uh, what i'm saying is that it in politics that's definitely true yeah, the groups that you want to spend um time with in your in your home state are the groups who disagree with you most now there's some different and, and they are the ones gonna, uh,
0: that you can win over
2: well not always no I mean, but
0: i mean uh, you can win some over yeah. and that's we're talking about votes we're talking about how democrats get yeah. votes from rural country you win people over and you, and this is when you're electing senators. Every vote counts. I know that. Uh, 312 yeah. was my margin uh, in 2008-9. In
2: <laughs> by that, I won by a landslide, right? I won by 3,000 votes. Yeah. I, yeah. I and, and a much, much
0: smaller population.
2: A much tougher state. One of the things that happened in 16... Is I saw this trend, and I've been around the block since nineteen. My first race I ran in nineteen eighty four. So I and I run in a rural state. Used to win elections by sixty five percent, right? In North Dakota. When and, I got we,
0: there, we had the two senators were were uh, Dorgan
2: and Conrad and Conrad. Yeah. So
0: you had two Democratic and, and Pomeroy, Pomeroy over in the and, was, and at, at the one house. point
2: when Governor Center was governor, the entire congressional delegation and the governor were Democrats. So this isn't so far removed. So the question is, kind of what happened? And you could see this trend. You could see this incredible trend of people moving away from the Democratic Party. So I invited John Podesta, who um, you you remember Hillary's um, campaign chairman, to and, come over and
0: Obama's uh, right. chief of staff, yeah, uh,
2: to come over and actually sit down with rural state. Democrats to talk about this trend and say she's got to be more responsive in rural America. She's got to show up in rural America. She's got to understand that, R- that
0: Like rural Wisconsin and yeah. rural Michigan yeah, yeah. and rural well, Pennsylvania. We
2: won't, I mean, there's enough punch in there but, but my point is You know, then what happened is they got distracted by a primary that they didn't expect they're going to have, which was more robust than what they thought, which was the Bernie primary. And, And because of worrying about bringing the Bernie faction back into the fold, I think they ignored those moderate people out there who wanted someone different. The one thing I will tell people, and I say this all the time, they don't like Donald Trump. I mean, there's a percentage of people in rural America who actually like him. Yeah, Most I, people do not like him um they don't like his behavior oh, that's they don't like really good to know well it's true it's I don't think they like the behavior they don't like the fact that he lies they don't like the fact that he brags I mean what did he say the other day that that um he was somewhere where he wasn't oh that he went down to the to be with the 911 first responders which wasn't true I mean none of this stuff is true he says stuff all the time that's not true
0: yeah I mean it's it, it, it comes at you so much that you can't remember it but
2: but people in rural america there's there's you know if if donald trump wasn't a billionaire right or whatever let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt if he wasn't th- this guy who seemingly has so much uh, business power and he walked in and sat down at the local cafe and talks the way he talks to the public in the local cafe people would pick up their plates and move to a different table they wouldn't sit and listen to it
0: yeah, they'd say what an asshole.
2: Yeah, and they'd say, you know, who is that guy? Why does he think he's so remarkable? Why? Why? He's and, and what's the what deal
0: with his hair?
2: <laughs> yeah, they say, oh, yeah. Did nothing. you see that?
0: I mean, <laughs> he's got he kind he of a
2: funny color too. Doesn't yeah. He? yeah. Well,
0: yeah. We don't do that here. <laughs> you know. You doesn't just he wears his
2: b- ties a little long too? What's that?
0: Yeah, and also wearing a tie into the cafe here. <laughs> And a suit is kind of ridiculous, don't you think?
2: <laughs> oh, if if you want to win votes, you you should probably shouldn't show up like you're ready to preach the sermon. You should show up like you're ready to, you know, go out on the tractor.
0: Let's talk about some of the positive stuff about rural America. A writer for the, uh, the Washington Post, he looked at data for the Washington Post. And just as a fun, I th- thought it was fun, column, he wrote, what's the worst place in, in the United States, the worst place to live. Mm-hmm. And he found this town that's close to North Dakota, but it's in Minnesota. He worked for the Washington Post, but he lived almost in Baltimore because that's all he could afford. Mm-hmm. And he had these two kids and his wife worked for the federal government. They invited him to come. They weren't mad at him. They just said, you should come and see what this place is like. He he ended up moving to that town.
2: <laughs> Isn't that great?
0: Their life in where they were. Yeah. he His commute was impossible. Yeah. He can get all the data he likes at, at a computer. Yeah. And they they move there yeah. <laughs> and and this is part of what you get yeah. in a rural community
2: have, have have you have you had a chance to catch up with sister Simone so nuns on the bus
0: I have not oh seen she's, her she's of wonderful late. she's wonderful you I, know what I, she's I doing know.
2: What? You know, Sister Simone is from like like some you know grew up I think fairly wealthy, although she wouldn't admit that in California, right? So her whole experience has been really coastal and and urban, and so she saw all these trends and said, "I'm going to go out and visit with people in rural America," and so she's been going all over. And she she tells a unique experience she had in poetry, poetry Texas. Isn't that a great name? Everybody's one woman comes in late and. She says, "Oh, you know, I was helping so and so because their cows are out, and that's what we're all about in rural America." And she goes through all of these. Um, you know, everybody talks about how they survive because not because they have a lot of money, but because they have these neighbor relationships that really are a village taking care of the village, and and they that look they're after very, yeah, other. they look after each other and they care about each other. Then, then she raises the question of, "Well, then they must be supportive of food assistance through the SNAP program." And she said the tenor of the entire conversation changed when you introduced a broader kind of global or national kind of policy of helping each other. A a
0: federal program. A federal
2: program. But but you know they saw that as big government, not consistent with their values. And I think when when you you talk about it, there's 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 a uh, an ability that we all have to help each other, but it's limited. And and I think we have to have that conversation about what does this look like for student loans. A lot of people in rural America are on Medicaid, right, or elderly on Medicare. Those are two hugely successful, very important health care programs for which there would not be rural health care. Yeah,
0: the states, what what were the states in 18 who had referendums on expanding yeah. Medicaid passed? I know Idaho is one of them. Uh, Utah. Utah, and um, Kansas. Those are pretty rural and pretty conservative states.
2: Right. But, but, you know, the other thing I would say is, so California expanded, New York expanded, Minnesota expanded. Why are you letting them get the benefit of Medicaid expansion in your little state? A lot of the, the rural states, a lot of the southern rural states are the ones that haven't expanded. Those Guess are, where Those the, are the only ones. Now. Right. But think about that. Think about where is the worst quality health care in America? and they can argue with me about this, certainly in rural America, it's in the South. This podcast is supported
1: by FedEx. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
2: Sheldon used to Sheldon Whitehouse our friend used to used to have this chart and he'd say if we're going to reward high quality, low cost, who gets rewarded? Guess who gets rewarded? North Dakota, Minnesota. If we're going to penalize low quality, high cost, who's going to be penalized? It's the southern states, it's the red states. And it's it's just kind of an anomaly. Uh, and, and, and people look at that and say, well, why do they hate Medicaid when you know, they would get benefit? They, they, they already, you know, a high percentage of them are on some kind of government assistance. Well, it, it just seems weird to people.
0: Part of it is the information they get.
2: Well, That's true. I mean, I mean, but, part, but part of it is this mystique of we're not interconnected. We, we are uh, resilient and reliant on each other and no one else.
0: Uh, let's get into religion
2: Yeah, because I think that plays a role in all of this
0: well I think that plays a role certainly in um, I think one of the most brilliant things that Trump did was announce that the Federalist Society Mm -hmm. the Heritage Foundation were going to pick the judges and I, I the People who are pro-life, anti-abortion, anti-choice, they said, oh, good, he's going to appoint people that are believe the same way we do. And th- they care tremendously about mm-hmm.
2: that. You know, when when people say, well, uh, people like what he's done with the conservative court, I always stop and say, many, many of the people... Would not be people who would support the kind of pro business court positions that have been taken. When when you say oh, a conservative awful. court, yeah, but when you say to people a conservative court, it's all about this issue of abortion. It is in North Dakota. If you said, "Do you think corporations should be able to, you know, um, have every right that a human being has?" They would say no. Uh, but do they want a conservative court? Yes, they want a conservative court because so they, uh, they want mandatory arbitration. Leave. Is yeah, one of yeah, my
0: yeah. Uh, issues was one of my right. issues in the in the, the Senate.
2: People hate that. Yeah, being told that they don't have a right that you know having a usury uh, contract that says you have to sign on the dotted line or you don't get our services, right?
0: Well, that that's a uh, if you're a customer, but an employment, okay. you know, or or. Well, a customer. Let's say, for example, when Wells Fargo opened all those accounts for people, those fake accounts. Their
2: their only redress was arbitration. Even though they didn't sign a contract.
0: And that's because arbitration is secret. So this went on for years without people hearing about it. And so, because of mandatory arbitration in financial, um, you know, contracts services. and financial services contracts, this kind of crap was allowed to continue.
2: Yeah. No, I I I don't know how you can justify denying someone the access to courts in America.
3: And but we, this but issue.
0: Yeah. But this issue is. I, I'm talking about abortion, is just an enormous issue with people.
2: Yeah, and, and, and here's one where, where it really is important that we start having a conversation. Because people will automatically say, well, here was a, here was a great example. I read an article recently written by a woman who said what she, what she does when she's arguing this point. She said, okay, you think life begins at the point of conception. You could have some fertilized embryos in a building that's on fire, or you could have a child. You can carry out a thousand fertilized embryos, or you can carry out the child, but you can't carry out both. Well, who are you going to rescue? That's pretty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting visual, right? And, and, and even she said, "I've got to quit doing that because it's too confrontational. It, you know, on, on their core beliefs, but it does illustrate, you know, do they really believe? that that's 1,000 lives compared to the one life that's standing there breathing.
0: Also, there are so many uh, anti-choice people who also don't want birth control.
2: Oh, I know. That, so, so think about this. The, the um, state of Colorado, remember this example? Colorado actually got contacted, and eventually it was revealed. It was one of the Buffett Foundations that did it. Contacted Planned Parenthood of Colorado. And they said, "Look, we want to we want to help you with teenage pregnancy rates. Um, we're willing to give you any amount of money you want to basically do um, uh, IUDs, which is a which yeah. is a much longer term. Because one of the challenges with other forms of birth control is the the reliance on the person to actually do something on a routine. And so, if you can do some temporary." more permanent, and I know that's an oxymoron, but if you can do a different, the IUDs have been a godsend right? Um, in terms of teenage. So they did this in a Denver suburb um, where they basically provide this service, dramatically reduce the rate of teenage pregnancy, but also importantly, dramatically reduce the rate of abortion. Now, are people willing to fund that kind of contraception to eliminate abortions in this country?
0: That's a very good question. I don't know.
2: I, I the answer is no.
0: And uh, also and this is where religion comes in. Uh I think sex education is um it's just uh, it, it has been shown obviously and contra- teaching yeah. contraception prevents pregnancies yeah. therefore prevents
2: well, abortion. And and it's interesting cuz when my kids went through it you know, we we got the obligatory slip. If you don't want your child to participate, you can opt out. And so, the next parent-teacher's conference I went to, I asked the health teacher. I said, "I'm just curious, how many parents actually returned to slip, opting their kids out?" She said, "None." Mm-hmm. So you've got the tyranny of the people who don't want their kids to have that education, dictating what the rest, what the vast majority of people want for their kids.
0: Of course, it yeah. happens with you know, a lot of yeah. things.
2: Yeah. But 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 but. School administrators and state administrators need to need to not let the tail wag the dog on this, and and we all know that health education. Let's get back
0: to the topic because there are these social issues, and that one I think is based on religion, a basically or a, a religious philosophy. Maybe I'm wrong.
2: I think the the one issue that I will tell you has has huge consequences in rural America, and that's immigration.
0: Well, they they want immigration because they want those are people that that work on in agriculture. Well, right? I'll
2: tell you what they want. They want a secure border, and so the, oh, I see. Start there. So what they want is. But they well, I've I've talked yeah. to
0: dairy farmers. I've talked right. to so many different.
2: But but you know what that dairy farmer who knows that that immigration is critical to his future or her future, go ten miles south and ask what I mean. I got in this argument with a rural panel about you know how welcoming they use the Wilmer example, and I talked about you and the the Vale Victorian and how moving that is that that community. I said that's that if you think that's a reflection of where they are in rural America, it's not true. But guess I mean here's another, let's talk about the good stuff. I also met a woman who has done a Chinese Mandarin immersion program in Casper, Wyoming. And there is a waiting list of kids to get into that program. I mean, there's tons of really good They things. all
0: wanna get rich. <laughs> With China, because <laughs> they see where where the wind's blowing, they they know.
2: Oh, Al, don't be so. I mean, maybe they just Wanna want to learn a Chinese. Kind, yeah, yeah. A different kind of challenge.
0: Okay, let's just sum up here. Uh, Democrats, Dem- and by that you mean Democratic candidates, right? One have to show up. Yep. Two, listen.
2: And and not come with your list of arguments on why you're right, but actually listen and actually understand that people who hold a different opinion are still good people and they're not racist. I mean, you know, that's what the president is driving in this division that he's doing right now. He's trying to convince people that not only, not only don't they appreciate your contribution and, and who you are and how hard you work, but they think you're a racist because you think I'm a racist. And and right, right? I mean by extension that's what he's saying.
0: And you know, and why would we think that?
2: Well, on him it's pretty obvious why yeah. we think it, but I don't think that's true of rural America.
0: So he is saying racist stuff in order to gin up his base that isn't racist, but
2: But it's but but, but they see think... grievance in it. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, yeah, that's calling us names again that we're 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 this person or that person, and that's not who we are. That's a
0: pretty sophisticated. Uh... I
2: don't know. I think I yeah. I, I think it's it's um, legitimate. And so, I, I mean, I, I think that that the biggest mistake that Hillary. You, you,
0: made... you, so what you're saying, and because I just want to get this right, you're saying it, it's legitimate that Republicans or people in rural areas think the Democrats consider them racist because they're white and in a rural area?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, that, um, uh, what they hear is starting with Hillary Clinton calling him deplorable, which she didn't, she said half of them were deplorable, but what they hear is that we're not respected. And at least he shows up, says what he thinks and respects us. And, and so my point is, uh, you know, what we need to do is not fall into the trap of categorizing and stereotyping rural people. I'm not saying that that... Well, that's that's a good start. Right, right, (laughs) right. So so (laughs) don't don't make assumptions. I'm not saying you aren't going to run into racist people in rural America. I'm not saying you aren't going to run into people who are unmovable in rural America. But I am telling you that, that I think the majority of people in rural America... Are hardworking, open minded, truly Christian or religious people who want better things for this country, better things for each other. And I think that they are deeply disturbed by the what the the divisions that are being created in America. And I think they're deeply disturbed by the um by by an administration and by a leader who lies and who uh brags and who doesn't seem to be competent.
0: Yeah and a point and corrupt
2: right right and corrupt i mean i i, <laughs> I mean, mean yeah. there, there's Let's there, say that. these are people who i mean you know people i grew up with uh, can look at a situation and size it up pretty quickly and and when they see the president tweeting about kim jong un that he is the, his best friend they don't like that They don't like what's happening with Russia. They don't like what's happening with China that the president has dumped all the trade agreements onto the ground and mashed them up and there's there's no order to it, and he's promised it would be quick and it's not quick, and that's going to affect their livelihood. I mean... And and I'm not saying you're going to win all of them, but I am telling you, and and that's the theory behind one country, and it's onecountryproject.org. You can go out and take a look at the look at the um, data, but you can't win the presidency, and you certainly can't win the Senate unless you start learning how to talk to rural America. And
0: if there's anyone in out there listening to this who may run in the future or is running. It actually, the people in rural America, in rural Minnesota, are unbelievably great.
2: Well, and funny. So yeah. I, I've got a joke, Al. Okay. I got a joke about sure. the farmer. This is a true story. Unfortunately, this guy was a very popular um, teacher in rural South Dakota, okay. and I, I um, unfortunately it. was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And everybody who loved him knew that you know his time was not. It, the outcome was not going to be good, and. So they asked him, they said, "So, what are you going to do with the time you have left?" He said, "Oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do." He said, "I'm going to get married, I'm going to buy me a Dodge pickup, and I'm going to move to North Dakota." And they looked at him and said, "Huh?" And he goes, "Yeah, I figured that'll be the longest damn year of my life.") <laughs> That's rural humor. I mean, you know, here's a guy who just, I mean, I love that story because it just shows how in the face of adversity, there's people who just have so much resilience with humor and with neighbors and with friends. And that, I think it's also important for rural America to know that they don't have a license on goodness. Um, You know, they aren't the only place where people find community.
0: Well, we've been talking with Heidi Heitkamp, who has formed an organization called One Country.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I think the meaning of it is that we're one country. One country. Under God.
2: Indivisible. No, liberty no. Liberty no, and justice for very all. Very
0: divisible. <laughs> Unfortunately. Okay. We're done.
2: Okay. We're out. <laughs>
0: Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, that music that you're listening to is uh, is from Leo Kotke, my pal Leo Kotke from Minneapolis, and uh, one of the great one of the great guitarists and one of the great guys in this country. But I love I love this piece, and I love pretty much everything Leo does. I uh, like uh, to thank everyone who works on the show that would be me and Peter Ogburn. <laughs> um, Peter is a producer. He also engineers uh, the show. I do the research and booking. So I'd like to thank Peter and, and myself. Okay, uh, please uh, listen in next time. Goodbye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
1: The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV.